God's will for our lives? I mean, how should we be living in a secular society whose values increasingly are different to Christian values? And in which some groups within it are increasingly hostile to any sort of public um, expression of Christian faith. That's the kind of the culture we're in today. We've been thinking about it now over many weeks, different examples of how we're just feeling that uh, our life as Christians is just doesn't fit with the, the values and, and what's being taught in our media and what's being promoted in our culture around us. Vaughan Roberts, who's a minister in Oxford, said that there's a temptation to three different responses in a, in a context like this. Number one, we can become enculturated, and that's where we simply just accept all the ideas that are out there and this perspective that uh, this religious pluralistic uh, assumptions that all faiths are basically the same, that it's just a lifestyle choice, so you just keep quiet about it and it's your own little private domain. We can become enculturated like that. Or we can become um, intimidated and we just withdraw from culture. We, we, uh, we, we, we just avoid as, uh, having contact as much as possible. We disengage from society. A uh, third response is we just become infuriated. We just get angry. And I, I sense that that's going on too as, as we look at some of the responses. People are just getting angry. Uh, that the government could be making decisions like this, that society could be going in this direction, that there's three different responses in that way. Well, what, what does God have to say? How should we respond in this environment? Well, please open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. And you'll find that on page 1,218 in the church uh, read Bibles. 1 Peter chapter 2, page 1,218. And I'm going to read from uh, verses, well, we're going to focus on verses 13 to 17 this morning. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong, and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. This is God's Word. Now, let's keep your Bibles open. Let's just do a quick recap. Well, actually, what, what, what is God's will for our life? What's the answer? There, verse 15. What's the answer for God's will for our lives? What is it? To do good. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. It is God's will. We should do, uh, do good within the community that we live in. So uh, let's just quickly think about the context here and recap from the past few weeks. Uh, we've been thinking about the importance of understanding our identity. Uh, and uh, there it is in verse 10. Who are we according to verse 10? 
if we've put our trust in Jesus? Who are we? The people of God. We're the people of God. Um, and uh, we, we saw that there's, uh, you know, amazing uh, privileges to that. The verse earlier, where a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that we would declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. And of course, knowing our identity, knowing that we are the people of God, has a profound impact on how we live our lives and how we relate to those around us. Now, last week, Liam uh, taught on verses 11 and 12 that how we relate as the people of God to the world around us. The people of God are to live as aliens and strangers in the world. We're to be abstaining from evil and we are to be engaging in doing good. Look at verse 11 again. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now this really is our mission strategy uh, as a church. This is the New Testament mission strategy. It is a call to holiness and helpfulness. Do you see that? Uh, We're called to be God's holy people who abstain from sinful desires of our society. And yet we're people who engage helpfully within our society, seeking ways to do positive good that reflects God's holy character. This is our mission purpose. And as we live as the people of God together, pursuing holiness, uh, pursuing helpfulness, then that will draw some to also put their faith in Jesus. And so they too will glorify God on the day he visits. That's the mission strategy. We're not to be enculturated. We're not to be intimidated. We're not to be infuriated. We are called to get involved, knowing our identity as God's people. That's the the banner of of the rest of this section in 1 Peter. So if it is God's will that we do good in our society, what are some of the specifics? I wonder, what, what would you say? What are some of the specific ways that we are called to do good in society? Well, answer number one is found in verse 13. And it's quite a surprise. And the answer is submission. Submission. That sounds very exciting, doesn't it? This is the brave heart nation, isn't it? They'll never take our... Number one way, submission. Submit to human government. Verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Now, to be truthful, that could just sound a little bit dull and unpalatable, can't it, to our 21st century ears. But actually, remember, it was far more unpalatable in the first century when Peter wrote this letter. He's living in the Roman Empire, and one of the emperors of his day was the Emperor Nero, who would become a cruel sadist, who would eventually persecute Christians horrifically in Rome, and under whose reign Peter himself was put to death, executed. And who were some of the governors that Peter knew about in his lifetime? Well, there was, uh, there was Pontius Pilate, 
who flogged Jesus and crucified him. There was uh, Herod and Felix who were, had no problems at all about locking people up and leaving them in the prison for years and putting leaders to death. So listen again to these challenging words. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. Now those are very surprising verses, don't you think? Now why should Christians be law-abiding citizens? Well, the answer that the Bible gives is this. Because we are God's people. Because we are God's people, we will be law-abiding citizens. Now, as you read through the Old Testament, you see that the people of God in the Old Testament actually took the world on by force. Uh, Joshua and the Israelites conquered the land through the sword, didn't they? God called on the people to execute just judgment against the pagan nations uh, who were living in the land, a people whose uh, sin fully deserved God's punishment. And God's people were the executioners of God's judgment. So why, if we are the people of God, why don't we do the same thing? Why is that not the same tactic? Good question to ask, isn't it? Especially if you're reading your Bibles. Why is that different today? Well, because we live in a different place in salvation history. Uh, we, we are subject to King Jesus, who made it clear that his kingdom is not of this world. As you read through the Gospels, Jesus uh, was clear he had not come to fulfill revolutionary expectations of his day. He refused to claim a political kingship. He refused to lead a revolt against the Roman Empire. He didn't start a political party. He called disciples to follow him as he went the way of the cross. And he called on them to pick up their cross and follow him. And Peter's disciples didn't get it, did they? They really didn't get it. When it came to the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, the night before Jesus was arrested and, and crucified, there was Peter with a sword. And as the authorities stepped forward to arrest him, Peter started swinging with his sword and chopped off the ear of Malchus, the servant. Peter was going to take on the empire one ear at a time. What a man! But Jesus tells him to put the sword away. And from that time on, it's clear that the church is not in the world to wield the sword. That is the role of civil government. You know, the church is called to wield something far more mightier than a sword. It is God's word, the Bible. Uh, even the best targeted missiles and bombs cannot change rebellious human hearts. This is what we're finding, isn't it? With all these drone strikes... It's not decreasing the amount of terrorism. It might be even promoting it. No, missiles cannot change human hearts, but the gospel can. Now, that's what Peter, uh, Paul taught in 2 uh, Corinthians, didn't he? For the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power. We demolish arguments and everything that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, says Paul. When the church has given up on the word and taken up the sword, then great damage has been done to the cause of Christ. Now, as Christians, living this side of the coming of Christ, we are called to be law-abiding citizens of the country that we live in because we are subject to King Jesus. 
It is because we're citizens of the heavenly kingdom that we make ourselves subject as citizens of the countries that we live in today. That's the biblical principle. And what a civil government, what is it, what's it there for? Well, it's there, verse 14, because it is to administer justice. It is there to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Governments, whether that's city authorities or national government, is a God-instituted means that evil should be restrained and the good would be promoted. It is a great blessing to live in a land where there is justice. Just look at some of the nations that don't have it. We are very blessed to live in the United Kingdom where we have the system of justice that we have. Politicians, laws, lawyers, police, law courts, judges, prison officers, soldiers are a great blessing from God when they're working justly. To live in a community where, where crime is left unchecked is to live in a place of, of fear and anxiety and misery. And so if you work in the uh, criminal justice system in any way, if you work in uh, law, then I want you to know that you're fulfilling an honorable role within society, a God-given role. And we offer you our thanks uh, as you do that. The police are getting a bit of a kicking now, but I'm very glad that most of our police really are just and doing a great job and putting their lives on the line. And we should thank God for them. But the justice is not just strengthened by government uh, doing that. It's also by the way it praises good. Now, when I grew up, I, I thought it was very quaint to get in the New Year's Honours list. I thought it was a bit of an odd thing. But, of course, it's a thoroughly biblical thing, isn't it? That twice a year, the Queen uh, publishes this list on behalf of the government of uh, people that it's commending for their good works in society. All we tend to get is the headline of people, you know, like sportsmen getting honors. I don't know why sportsmen get honors. They, they, they get paid well enough. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's all the other people who don't get commented on, the long list of people who are rewarded for their, their patient, good works in society that commend it. And that is a wonderful thing. That's part of the government's uh, role according to the Bible. So practically, what does it look like to be subject to uh, the government? Well, number one, Christians should pay their taxes. Um, government needs, needs money, and it is a good and godly thing to pay our taxes. Uh, we should obey the police. We should seek to obey the rules of the roads. We should seek to obey the the speed limits even. It's, I'm, I'm not trying not to look at specific people right now, but we should. Uh, we, if we're students, we should be obeying the rules of the university. We should be obeying the rules of our school. We should be obeying our teachers when they tell us what to do. And uh, we should be putting ourselves and being subject to the authorities that are over us, recognizing that this is what God has set in place. And of course, if we are privileged to live in a democratic process where we um, can question those who we elect and we can choose who we elect for, we'd be very foolish not to make the most of that. But you know what? Even if we live in a despotic nation that has no such thing as voting or uh, a democratic process, then we should seek to honor those who lead. 
for most of Christian history, Christianity has, has lived in a culture where there isn't democratic government. Now, why does Peter urge such submission? Well, the heart of his concern is there in verse 15, isn't it? For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. You know, from the first century onwards, Christians have been uh, often misunderstood and maligned, slandered by their opponents. Christians were wrongly accused in the first century of practicing murder, incest, and even cannibalism. And even today in certain countries, in China, North Korea, Islamic countries, Christians are viewed as a bit of a threat to a cohesive society. They are suspected of being unpatriotic, of being dangerous misfits who must be oppressed. And when suspicion and slander grows, well, then the assumption is that the Christians are up to no good. Well, how should Christians respond? Well, it is the will of God that we should be going about doing lots of good. Doing good is the best apologetic witness that will silence those who say we're up to no good. It's quite straightforward, really, isn't it? Christians should really be the most helpful citizens uh, that a country has. People who will make a positive contribution to society in our schools, in our art, in sport, in our neighborhoods, in politics, in government. And this is what the Lord commanded uh, God's people to do in their exile. Uh, command them to seek the peace and prosperity of the city. Engage in life in whatever ways you can to do others good. Uh, we're to get involved, knowing our identity as the people of God. And so Jeremiah tells him, well, you know, build houses, do DIY, settle down, plant gardens, marry, have children, and engage positively in exile as God's holy people. And for us as New Testament Christians, as we live this out, as we love Jesus, love people, and love life, get involved in the community around us, that will be the context in which people will ask us, well, why are you different? Why do you have the hope you have? And that's when you get to share something of your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the, uh, that's what we learn in First Peter as a strategy of living in an alien culture and society. And it's as if Peter uh, hears an objection. Uh, someone's thinking, well, actually, if we're, we're Christians, we're free now, and we're, we're citizens of the kingdom of God. Why do we have to bother with all the inconvenient rules, such as you know, parking bays and, and uh, speed limits? And we're about kingdom business. We've got a greater, a greater agenda. We can choose to just, you know, we're... we're children of the king so we can go as fast as we want because we've got we to go to a prayer meeting we've got, we've got, we're going to go and preach somewhere well verses 16 and 17 tells us that he says yes you're free but you should use your freedom to live as servants of God verse 16 live as free men but do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil live as servants of God show proper respect to everyone Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. It is true, as Christians, we have amazing freedom. We are freed from earning 
merit before God. We're freed from trying to think we have to earn our good standing. We're freed from the guilt of sin. We're freed from the fear of death. Uh, We're freed from the power of sin ruling over us. And we have all these freedoms because Jesus Christ uh, won a great victory in his death upon the cross. He paid for our sins. He conquered death. He defeated the devil. And through faith in Jesus, we are declared justified before God, right before him. As we sang in our kind of second hymn today, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. It is all his righteousness that we claim, and he makes us right before God. We're adopted into his family, and we are free people. And it's true for every believer, male or female, adults or children who trust in Christ. We are free in lots of ways, but we are not free to do evil. We're not free to do wrong. We're not free to cheat or steal or break laws. Our Christian freedom is this, that we have now become slaves to God. Uh, the, the, the phrase servant of God is quite a polite way of translating the word underneath it which is literally a slave you are free to be a slave of God and how we exercise our freedom as slaves of God is made clear in verse 17 we honor everyone every person every person that we meet in our society we honor them as people made in the image of God every person whatever ethnicity whatever nationality, whatever gender, whatever social status, whatever uh, religion, whatever sexual orientation. Everyone should be treated with courtesy and respect. Servants of God should not be bigots or racists or demeaning of the opposite sex. We should honor everyone. But in particular, servants of God, next thing up, go to the next slide. David, that's great. The next thing up, the higher obligation, is that we love Christians. We love the brotherhood. Um, We should not only respect fellow Christians, but demonstrate strong, deep love for each other. And that's not something we just uh, show to people who are part of our particular church. We should show that to all Christian brothers and sisters. Uh, who attend other churches in this city. We, shouldn't, we should seek at all times to avoid anything that tries to elevate ourselves above other churches or other Christians. We are called to love the brotherhood. But our highest obligation, of course, is as servants of God, we are to fear God. We're not to fear dictators or presidents or prime ministers. The only one we ought to fear is God. He is the one whom we respect. He's the one we, who we obey above all others. And so there are indeed times when our calling to fear God is a higher obligation than the command to uh, be subject to authorities. We read it in Daniel, didn't we, today, from Daniel chapter 6. Uh, he could not obey the, the edict that was given to only pray to the emperor. He couldn't do that. He feared God more than the emperor. And so he went about doing exactly the same thing he'd done before, uh, praying three times a day to God with the windows open in a sort of a public way people could observe it. And um, the result of that, as we saw, is an incredible miracle. God would, could have 
didn't have to do the miracle, but God chose to do it. And at the end, the uh, pagan king Darius glorifies God and declares, uh, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. And he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. Or consider the words of Peter and John as they were charged by the temple authorities uh, to stop speaking and teaching about Jesus. Uh, They said this, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Yes, we will in all ways that are not sinful, we will seek to be subject to governing authorities. But above and beyond that, we fear God. It is a horrific thing when a country thinks that the government is God. Will not save, will not free. But a nation that fears God above government is a nation that can be free. That has a higher authority, a higher power. Well, such is it for Christians whatever society may do. And I love this. What's the final thing? Honor the emperor. The NIV kind of obscures this in the translation, but essentially it's the same word that is for everyone. At the time, uh, Nero viewed himself as a god, a deity that should be worshipped. And the twist in the verse is that Peter says, yes, um, Honor everyone, love Christians, fear God, and yeah, honor the emperor. Just show them the same respect as you do to everyone else. It's kind of a subversive statement when you understand the context. No divine status for country leaders, but respect as you show just everybody else. What is the will of God for our lives living in this culture? Do good. It is the will of God that we do good for the glory of God. Don't get infuriated. Get involved knowing your identity as God's people. Let's pray and ask for his help, shall we?